Welcome to the Occult London Podcast. This is a new podcast dedicated to exploring magic, mysticism, the Kabbalah, as well as other topics. If you like the podcast, please write a review and rate us on iTunes as it will really help us to get this message out there. Also, be sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk where you can subscribe to the show. If anyone has any questions for me, then I'd love to hear from them. So please reach out via Facebook or an email as I'd love to answer any questions. You can find my Facebook on the show notes or alternatively email me at occultlondonpodcast at gmail.com. Hope you enjoy the show. More about the, the system of the chakras and also looking at some of the history of the development of these ideas and how they got to the state where they are in now in our modern society. So over the first, over the past, kind of past hundred years or so, the idea of the chakras or these sort of subtle energy centers within the body has really kind of captured our Western imagination in, in great depth and it's really kind of influenced everything from, you know, the yoga tradition um, and and lots of other aspects as well, you know, like the kind of mindfulness, etc., um, in the modern society. However, a lot of what we kind of think of as being the chakra system is actually probably unlikely how it was originally when it was when these when these ideas were kind of originally developed. The main purpose of this. The original chakra system is meant to have been to for it to function as a means for attaining this, um, you know, kind of union with the divinity, and also for kind of installing mantras or specific gods at certain points within the subtle body. And this has been expressed in the original system in the form of, you know, using, um, you know, mystical sounds of the Sanskrit language to distribute powers across there and also you know chakras being associated with a deity so the user would also would basically kind of visualize a specific mantric symbol in a specific location while also intoning its sound um <clears throat> the it's likely that the original system of the chakras originated with the the ancient vedas and as we know, the yoga, the word yoga means yoke or union, and therefore we can see this the chakra system as being an, this kind of process to yoke the mortal self to the divine self. It's also connected quite closely with the tantric tradition. So if we look at things like the non-dual tantra traditions, we find that um, the chakras and the kundalini are very much connected with a wholesome view of the world. So the spiritual and the physical material are kind of seen as one rather than it being a separation and, you know, the earth is bad and heaven, etc. is good. Um, the, the word tantra is obviously much more deeper and a much deeper tradition than people think, uh, you know, a lot of people seem to think that it's a purely sort of sexual tradition. However, it's a very much a spiritual process um, in incorporating, you know, Hatha yoga. There's breathing techniques, there's worship of deities, as well as sort of drawing in different universal forces. And also, if we think about the word tantra as meaning loom, 
This also gives us quite a cool idea of weaving the threads of the universe into our being. Um, I wanted to do a quick quote here from the Lama Angarika Govinda. Apologies if I haven't pronounced that right. And he said the following. The dynamic forces of the universe are not different from those of the human soul and to recognise and transform those forces in one's own mind, not only for one's own good, but for that of all living beings, is the aim of the Buddhist tantras. The Buddhist does not believe in an independent or separately existing external world. The external world and the inner world are for him only two sides of the same fabric in which the threads of all forces and of all events of all forms of consciousness and their objects are woven into an inseparable net of endless mutually conditioned relations. The word Tantra is related to the concept of weaving and its derivatives, thread, web, fabric, etc. Hinting at the interwovenness of things and actions, the interdependence of all that exists, the continuity of in the interaction of cause and effect, as well as in spiritual and traditional development, which like a thread weaves its way through the fabric of history and individual lives. The scriptures, which in Buddhism go under the name of Tantra, are invariably of a mystical nature, i.e. trying to establish an inner relationship of things. The parallelism of microcosm and macrocosm, mind and universe, ritual and reality, the world of matter and the world of spirit. This is the essence of Tantrism. One of the main things that comes up a lot with regards to discussions on the chakras is that there's one chakra system, which is the system of seven that you tend to see everywhere in all the kind of New Age books, etc. However, if we go back into history, there's actually you know lots and lots of different versions. The original theory, we think comes of the energy centers comes from the tradition of tantric yoga which kind of existed around 600 to 1300 ce and if we look at different systems they all had different numbers of chakras so there's things like a five chakra system there's a six chakra system there's a seven which is like the one we have now um you know there's ones with 20 chakras um According to Christopher Tompkins, who's a, a Sanskrit scholar, and he's very, very well ch- worth checking out if you if you get a chance to look at his his blog. His his theory on it is that our current model comes from the Purnananda Swami, who wrote about this one system, so system of six chakras, five hundred years after the original source, which was the Kubjika Tantra, which is itself one of the tantric lineages in 1577 CE. However, um, 
it seems that there's there's actually a lot more of these systems now. Um, so some of them are based on five, as I said, some are nine, ten, eleven, etc. And um, there's lots of different variations depending on which sort of tantric text you are looking at. Some of these are in unusual places as well. Um, so there's, you know, for instance, there's, there's one in the palate of the mouth, etc. Um, but the, the model we have at the moment really with the seven chakras, the six in the body and then the one above the head is really attributed to Sir John Woodruff who um, also known as Arthur Avalon, who published the English translation of Pernanander's book, The Serpent Fire, um, which kind of was the beginning of this model that we have now. The key point to make with regards to these systems is that, you know, it's not a physical thing. Um, they're not organs in the body. They're rather than meant to be kind of part of this fluid energy that can, can change and adapt depending on the yogic exercise that the person's doing. That being said, there's all, there is meant to be three common ones which sharpen the majority of systems. So three common chakras, which are kind of the lower belly, the heart, and the crown of the head. So you can kind of think of this as being a connection between our sort of thinking, feeling, and willing to a certain extent um you know the emotional the the feeling part of the heart and then also this sort of spiritual kind of force or willpower one of the things that a lot of people in the west i think have made um confusing with regards to these systems is that it's it's they think of them as kind of being this kind of literal and existential fact that the chakras should be where they're described so the muladhara chakra is at the base of the spine when really what we're talking about is a kind of prescription for a spiritual practice to bring about a specific spiritual result. So, for instance, we're told to visualize a, a subtle object made of colored light at a specific point of the body and activate mantric symbols into it. Um, and it's meant to, the, the reason it works like that is because it's really meant to be something that's kind of helping us and transforming us in some way rather than it being a case of, oh, your you know, root chakra is looking a bit dark, uh, for instance, you know, that type of thing. It's really meant to be a kind of transformative um, aspect of consciousness but, and, and also representative of something that is, you know, completely unrepresentable, really. So these are all half symbols and half shadows of something that we can, it's very difficult to explain. Um, the other the other points to point to make as well is, you know, that um, they're they're associated with a different with a particular psychological states or correspondences. Um, so, you know, for instance, if you read books like um, Anadia Judith's Wheels of Life, um, you know, you've got these huge long lists of correspondences in there with that each chakra represents. And although this is quite interesting from a kind of meditation perspective to to look at that, um, it's not really featured in the original Sanskrit texts. And, you know, these are kind of later editions by people like Jung. Could be completely valid if you want to try them, but not necessarily um, following the original tradition 
So always bear that in mind when you look at some of these modern um, books about the chakras. A lot of the work we do now, or a lot of the, the, the form they've come in now, is very much influenced by kind of Western works of occultism that kind of borrow and appropriate Sanskrit terminology without kind of fully understanding it. So people like the, the theosophist um, Leadbeater, C.W. Leadbeater, which was, he wrote a book called The Chakras, and also, um, obviously, Arthur Avalon's uh, translation um, is also another book which, you know, is, he's obviously done a really good job, but it is slightly doesn't have all of the aspects in there that are relevant. So let's talk about some of the history, anyway, that we know. Um, obviously, with all of these things, it's not necessarily... You know, there's, there's a lot of different viewpoints on these subjects and, you know, it might not necessarily all be stuff that you agree with, but, um, you know, let's just go through some of the things that we we do know. Um, in terms of the first mention of the chakras, they appear around 7 to 800 BCE in the Upanishads. Um, however, there is some evidence to suggest that they might have been sooner. So there's in the Vedic texts, so there's a text called Atharva Veda, which is the principle of Mamani vital points, which are kind of places associated with the chakras. There's also these various Vedic hymns, which are meant to be copies of an older oral tradition of the Aryan culture, which was meant to be these invading Indo-European tribes that swept into India during the second millennium of BCE. The Aryans are meant to have entered India on chariots and... The origin of the word chakra as wheel refers to the chariot wheels of the invading Aryans. Um, and that's also another name for the chakra, which is kakra, which means wheel. The word is also a metaphor for the sun. So the great wheel that rolls across the sky also represents the eternal cycle of the time called the Kala Chakra. And the wheel represents celestial order and balanced. The Aryan warriors who are meant to have done this were known as chakravartins which means one whose wheels are moving and it also has a double meaning of one through whom the dharma chakra which is the wheel of the dharma is turning which is a term which is commonly used in buddhism and there was equivalent to this i don't actually have the name of this but there was an equivalent to this in, in the tibetan tradition which was known as the monarch who controls by means of a wheel so in, in here we have this concept of kingship in terms of we control our world through control of these chakras or wheels, which then, you know, create this energy into the universe. These mighty Aryan warriors were said to have been preceded by a golden disc of light similar to the halo of Christ, and the birth of a new Chakravartin was said to herald a new age, and it could be at this time period that marked the kind of dawning of a new era of humanity and history. And here's a quote. It is also said that the god Vishnu descended to earth, having in his forearms a chakra, a lotus flower, a club and a conch shell. This may also have referred to a chakra as a discus-like weapon. Following this Vedic period, we get the Upanishads, as I mentioned, which were essentially wisdom teachers passed from teacher to disciple. There are a few mentions of the chakras in the Yoga Upanishads, which is around 600 BCE, and also later in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, which is around CE 200. It's also from Patanjali that we get this classical eightfold path of yoga, and 
there is a bit of this kind of dualistic stuff with that with regards to renouncing the flesh to attain enlightenment. Um, later Upanishads um, around 200 BCE to 200 CE include the Sri Jabala Dashana, Upanishad Kudaimi Upanishad, Yoga Shika and the Shandila Upanishad which make references to tantric concepts such as chakras and mantra and we also have the first mention of the nadi channels which are these kind of like nerve like conductors of prana energy also in the 10th century we have the gorakshash atakam written by guru goraknath who, who gives kind of information on the powers of the chakras as well as how to awaken them um moving on from that so we move on to you know during the 16th century um, Swami Purananda wrote the Sri Tattva Sintamini, um, which is the sixth chapter, is which is called the Sat Chakra Nidapama, which is the investigation of the six centers. And this also includes descriptions and practices to activate the chakras. So we start to get this kind of practical things coming in, as well as, and he also talks about different powers attributed to each one and this kind of movement of this Kundalini force that's kind of goes through them. Um, the texts, um, you know, the texts such as the Satchakra Nudapama, written by in 1577, and the Pan- Padaka Pankaka, which is written in the 10th century, also contain descriptions of the chakra centers and, and different practices as well. And there's also a 10th, sec- 10th sec- century text called the Gorak Shashatakaman. Apologies if I'm not pronouncing that right which gives instructions for meditating on the chakras, and these form the basis of our understanding of um, chakra theory today. Um, these these works were translated in the early part of the 20th century by a chap called Sir John Woodruff, um, who was known as Arthur Avalon, and he wrote a book called The Serpent Power, which was first published in 1919. Um, for a very long time, this was established as being the only system of the t- uh, ancient tantric chakra systems referred to. Um, so if the chakras were ever mentioned, this system that he wrote about would come to mind. And, you know, there's a whole industry of yoga teachers and meditation teachers and writers and workshop guys and singing sound bowl people. Um, they've kind of all built around this process of the that he kind of started really um and also with all these kind of western correspondences such as crystals and you know native american uh ancestor and you know all of that sort of stuff which has kind of been tacked onto it um and as i said it's not wrong you know obviously if we look at the kabbalistic tree of life we can do the same there so i think um you know you can use these models and put things on there that have meaning to you because at the end of the day, it's you that is integrate. It's you that's interacting with the universe out there, and you need to use symbols that have meaning and importance to you and your development. Um, the book's quite difficult to read, and it's not. It's not particularly. It's very heavy going, so uh, not something I'd recommend people get into straight away. But um, it is really interesting. From, from certain points of view it focuses on the existence of <coughs> so 
So it focuses on the existence of seven basic chakras which exist within the subtle body interpenetrating our body. And the basic structure is as follows. And this is from Arthur Avalon, The Serpent Power. So we have three nadis, which are channels which conduct the prana or vital force around the body. And these are meant to be similar to arteries. Although some traditions focus on thousands of nadis in the body, the majority of the Western practitioners just focus on three, which, as we discussed in the previous episode, are Ida, Pingala and Shushumna. Ida is the comforting, it's the male, it's the left of the central channel which runs along the stone. Ida is associated with the moon and it begins at the base of the torso and ends at the left nostril. So that's really interesting. Um, Obviously the moon uh, relevance there, you know, normally the male is associated with the sun. So it's quite interesting that this, this older tradition kind of changes that um, concept next we have pingala which is the right of the central channel which is the sun and it the female channel and this begins at the base of the torso and ends at the right nostril like ida it either runs alongside the central channel or it crosses and recrosses it so here again obviously you've got the sun as a female um so again it's kind of a, a reverse of how we would normally put those do those polarities of genders really from that point of view at the center is the shushumna which starts at the base of the torso extends to the crown of the head which is called the brahmaranda or the aperture of the god brahma along the central channel are seven centers which are known as chakras the chakras have different numbers of petals, which are as follows. 4, 6, 10, 12, 16, 2, 1,000. Each set of petals is meant to carry a selection of the 50 phonemes of the Sanskrit alphabet, as well as each one has the following associated with it. So they have a yantra, which is like coloured symbol of the element, so the earth, water, air, akasha, etc. Um, I'll probably be doing an episode on some of the yantras, actually. We have a thing called a bija, which is a seed symbol. You have a vahana, which is a carrier, usually an animal who acts as a guide. And then there's a devata, which is a god or an entity associated with it. So, And these are basically kind of entities that you could then activate within your being which is actually quite similar to some of the kind of god form assumption techniques of uh, ancient Egypt and, you know, the, the sort of ceremonial aspects that these gods are within you and you can bring them forth and therefore it's a way of kind of tapping into that power. Um, so that's a quick overview of Arthur Avalon. Um, other variations of this, so by far the largest selling book of any of the theosophical publishing over the past 50 years has been um, C.W. Leadbeater's The Chakras, which had around 300,000 in print in 1987, but it's you know it's, it's never really stayed out of print. Um, he was part of the theosophical movement, which were active and introduced chakras to the West through the works of Alice Bailey, um, whose writings over kind of 
30-year period were really the result of this sort of telepathic communication with this t- Tibetan master who was known as Joao Kul. And he kind of introduced the concept of the seven rays idea. The publication of Leadbeater's Chakras is based very much around the tradition of the Madame Blavatsky. And it's also, um, you know, around his kind of own experiences and interpretations. Um, Leadbeater is one of these people that um, claim to be extremely clairvoyant and psychic and, you know, did lots of lots of different drawings of his clairvoyant visions and things that he saw um, at the time unlike today where we kind of there is a sort of acceptance that everyone has a certain level of psychic ability at the time when he was writing um, it was very much seen as a gift and you know he uh, uh, you were very kind of advanced if you could do all of these types of things so he was sort of revered um, for some of these kind of clairvoyant images and things like that. Um, and obviously he was very much connected with Madame Blavatsky, who, you know, was very focused on these concepts of developing our consciousness and, you know, the idea of, of different planes and different um, energies in the universe. And she said the following, Whatever plane our consciousness may be acting in, both we and the things belonging to that plane are, for the time being, our only realities. As we rise in the scale of development, we perceive that during the stages through which we have passed, we mistook shadows for reality, and the upward progress of the ego is a series of progressive openings and awakenings each advance bringing with it the idea that now, at last, we have reached reality, but only when we shall have reached the absolute consciousness and blended our own with it shall we be free from the delusions produced by Maya illusion. So that's just a quick quote from um, Blavatsky. So, you know, what we're talking about here is this, this concept that um almost like the veils are kind of falling away so if you imagine the these chakras or these things as being kind of spiritual levels of reality and as you can go through these veils the light gets brighter the light gets brighter until we can kind of see that we've we're free from the delusions lead beta takes the traditional concepts of from chak tantra and also um you know, Indian religious culture and kind of interprets them quite quite freely um, from that. Um, and some of it is not really particularly accurate. It's very much kind of um, the sensibilities of the time, I would say, would be the best way of describing it. He, as I said, he did do a lot of illustrations around, you know, what he could see from a um, clairvoyant perspective and he, he you know he talks about chakras as being seen as these vortices of energy within the auric field um and said the following the chakras are or four centers are points of connection at which energy flows from one body of a man to another all these wheels are perpetually rotating and into the hub or open mouth of each a force from a higher world is always flowing 
so that's just an idea of this kind of force these flowing points of energy where the, the things are coming into it um other people that are were kind of important around this time as well um and and later or kind of heavily influenced by i think some of the work of arthur avalon but also the theosophical movement is um rudolf steiner so he was the founder of the anthroposophical society and was originally in the Theosophical Society, but broke away after disagreements with Annie Besant. And he wrote a couple of books that kind of include bits about the chakras, which include the way of initiation, or how to attain knowledge of higher worlds, which is in 1908, and initiation and its results in 1909. The first four chapters of initiation and its results um, deals mainly with the chakras, and it's one of the earliest manuals of uh, the development of these energy centers in the west really he describes the chakras again similar to lead beater in terms of these clairvoyant detail and also describes techniques on how to develop them which is very different to blavatsky and her kind of inner group which were more like a lodge really they didn't really um, share these kind of secrets and it was seen as being very much secret wisdom for her you know inner group of initiates rather than it being something that you know joe public could have a crack at um steiner describes five chakras ignoring the fourth and the seven similar to the buddhist teachings which combine those at the foreheads um crown and the genitals um, anus he calls them wheels um radha lotus flowers lotus blumen centers and middle punct and sense organs of the soul and he kind of numbers them from top down so identifying each one with the number of petals in each and proximate locations in the body he never uses sanskrit words in the stuff that i read from him um, but each level is essentially associated with a different type of clairvoyance and also different spiritual qualities to the petals and Steiner says before that the chakras are developed, they tend to appear dark in colour, but then afterwards they begin to glow and revolve. Um, and we can develop them through right actions, thoughts, and and also kind of you know the goal of bringing the being into harmony. Um, he says the following: Now certain activities of the soul are connected with the development of these organs and anyone devoting themselves to them in a certain definite way contributes something to the development of the corresponding organs. And also, the functions of the body, the inclinations and passions of the soul, the thoughts and ideas of the spirit must be brought into complete union with each other in order to bring about complete mastery of the whole personality by means of self-consciousness, so that the body, soul and spirit make but one harmony. So that's a really nice idea that, um, again, you know, this gnosis of bringing the physical and the spiritual together into harmony. So there's no, uh, you know, earth is evil, heaven is great, spirit is good, um, material is bad. It's very much this kind of unified concept of as above, so below 
There's also other important figures in relation to the chakras, such as Alice Bailey um, in his Seven Rays. Edgar Casey also has various stuff about that, but I'm not going to go into too much um, information on that. But obviously, if people want to do their own research on those things, then they can. The next thing we wanted to talk about in this uh, quick kind of overview of the history and development of these ideas is the Order of the Golden Dawn and the Kabbalah. So the Golden Dawn also worked with the chakra system. Um, Samuel McGregor Mathers, who was the one of the original founders of the order, had been experimenting with Prasad's information on the Tatvic tides or the Pranic tides, and he was particularly focused on using the Tattva symbols. Um, and these can be found in a paper by Mathers called On the Tattvas of the Eastern School. These have similarities with the tree of life. So you'd have a symbol essentially that you would, you know, focus on and then you would kind of go into a, an astral projection or a kind of vision quest into that. Um, we can also see, um, you know, some of these experiments from the flying rolls of the 1880s uh, with regards to the chakras. And, you know, obviously I think this is partly where we get this concept of the chakras aligning with the tree of life. There are quite a few similarities um, with the Tree of Life and the chakras, which I think was probably one of the things that, that Mathers McGregor was trying to do. So you have, um, obviously, the Tree of Life has three pillars, the left, right, and the centre. And in the chakra system, you've got the Ida Pingala and the Shashumna. So, um, you know, there's also three sets of Seth Roth on each pillar, which are linked horizontally along the centre. And... You know, again, that's quite relevant um, in terms of, and you can really see that similarity with the Tree of Life, and we'll be discussing that later on. Um, in 1896, Marquis published a, a, a paper called The Human Aura Diagram of Concordances, which used um, Blavatsky's seven principles or layers of the aura and the ten Sephiroth. So that's also something else that might be kind of relevant here. One of the earliest correlations, however, between this concept of the Sephiroth of the Tree of Life, the chakras, comes about with um, Alistair Crowley's Liber 777, which was published in 1909. And he also studied, or was meant to have studied anyway, we're not 100% sure, with um, Sabhapati Swami. He juxtaposes a list of the seven principles labelled the soul. Um, with a list he calls the chakras or the Hindus of or the centers of prana Hinduism, and there, then he's kind of making this connection between principles and chakras implied in Blavatsky's esoteric instructions for the first time. Um, he's also bringing these kind of seven principles and the seven chakras into alignment with the with the first ten Sephiroth listed by number rather than name. He tends to, he is also dividing the manas into two parts, the higher and lower, and splits the lower manas into three subdivisions. And you can look this up, I'll add some notes on this. But he also assigns these three subdivisions of lower manas to Tiferet, Beauty, and the fourth chakra, but leaves out Malkut, which is quite interesting because, um, yeah, something that needs to be kind of investigated further. Um, after Crowley's work, this was further developed by 
Israel Regardi in the 1930s with his uh, Garden of Pomegranates, The Middle Pillar, and also a really interesting book called The Art of True Healing, which is a really, really great book if people can find it. It's also briefly discussed by Dion Fortune in the Mystical Kabbalah when she says the following. These Sephiroth unquestionably have their correlations in the chakras of the Hindu system, but the correspondences are given differently by different authorities. As the method of classification is different, the West, using a fourfold system, and the East, a sevenfold system, correlation is not easy to obtain, and in my opinion, it is better to look for first principles rather than obtain a tidy pattern of arrangement which does violence to the correspondences. The system of chakras are corresponding to the tree of life. Um, you know, it's been very much developed, as we said previously, with regards to the new age consensus with the popularity of books such as The Wheel of Life and Anatomy of Spirit by um, Caroline Miss. Um, a lot of these Books tend to remove the invisible sephiroth, which is dart, and tend to link the actual qualities of the chakras with the sephiroth. Um, so, for instance, you know, we'd have the first sephiroth, which is Keta, which would correspond to the seventh chakra. We have Bina and Chokma, which is the brow. Kesed and Mercy would be placed with the throat chakra. Um... Tifereth would be the heart chakra symbolizing, you know, love and relationships. Netzach and Hod would be solar plexus chakra, power and fire. Yesod would be the genital chakra and Malkut would be the root chakra. As I said, it's kind of at the base of the spine, but, you know, it's different in the Kabbalistic tree of life. Um, and another way would be we, we would attribute darts with the throat chakra, which means that the third, second and first all move up one level and then Malkut is below the feet. So um, anyway, I hope this has been helpful. This is just a quick, as I said, it's a quick overview of some of the development of the ideas of the chakra system and then also kind of have feeding into similarities with the Western system. Um, although they are completely different, I personally think, you know, there's got to be some truth that unites both of them. I don't think we would have these two systems completely separate, talking about completely different things. I think it's probably same powers we're talking about but just using different languages and different forms and um, you know it's, it's really interesting just to try and dig in a bit deeper onto some of these ideas hope everyone's enjoyed it thanks very much for joining this week on the occult london podcast if anyone has any questions for me then please reach out via facebook or an email as i'd love to answer your questions my email is occultlondonpodcast at gmail.com also, we really want to develop this podcast further, so we'd really appreciate it if you rate the show or leave a review on iTunes or whatever platform you are listening to this on, as this will mean more people can see it and hopefully we can get some more value from it. Also, please make sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk. See you all soon and thank you very much. Friend of mine, your vision is divine. So.